So I've noticed a common theme in the conversations I have with people uh, these days, and that is inevitably, we'll, we'll get to a place in the conversation and people will say, so Matt, what is it you find the hardest thing about having three kids under the age of four? And my answer is always the same. Uh, the hardest thing right now for us is getting them to eat. Uh, it is so frustrating to know that when we sit down to dinner, we're going to have to try to convince and beg and plead with our kids to do the one thing that they need to do to survive. Uh, and yet, with even how frustrating that is in my life, I, I've actually realized I've, I've begun to uh, admire my children uh, and admire their willingness to tell their mom night after night that they're not going to eat uh, what she made for them. And I, I don't think they do this out of courage. I think it's more they don't realize how close to death they come every time that they do this because I cannot imagine something more frustrating than for someone like my wife who went to culinary school to have a two-year-old food critic sit across the table for me, push their plate away, look you square in the face and say, this box of macaroni and cheese that you made for me, it's not up to snuff and I'm not going to eat it. I, I consider it one of the modern-day miracles that my children are still alive, but they do this night after night, and, I, and I've realized that I do admire them because I've begun to emulate them. We always do that. The things that we admire in our life, we emulate. And it was actually last week that um, it was Sloppy Joe night, and uh, we had planned for it, but we hadn't planned that well because we didn't actually have the stuff uh, other than ground beef in our house for Sloppy Joes. And so Hannah said, don't worry about it. I can still, I can still make it from scratch. I'll, I'll make up the, my own recipe for it. And so uh, she did it, and I found myself in a weird place because I, I tasted it, and something that my wife had made just didn't seem right. There was something off about it. And at first, my, my, my initial thought was, I'll, I'll just let this go. I'm not going to say anything about it. But I thought, no, wait a second. I, I, I've seen my kids do this. I've seen my kids do this every night, and, and, and they get away with it. And so I, I've watched them pretty closely. I can do this. I, I know the keys to telling her I don't want to eat it and yet surviving f to fight another day. And, and that is, I, I think if, I just, if I'm direct, if, if I tell her plainly, no, it's not going to happen, um, that's the first step. And if that doesn't work, it, it seems to uh, work out pretty well if I just start shaking my head and covering my mouth so like food can't get in there. That's a, that's a really good safeguard to, to make sure that she's not ever able to break me, you know, before I break her. But then if all else fails, I, I know that the surefire way to not have to eat this tonight is to just run away from the table and hide under my bed. It works every time. And so I, I've watched them do this. And I thought, here it is. And, and so I took my shot. And um, I can't remember exactly what it is I said or how I brought it up. Um, I'm sure I was direct, but it did not go the way I thought it was going uh, to go. But uh, the truth of our lives, though, the reason I share this and bring it up is that we do emulate what we admire. What we end up seeing in people, and we say, wow, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could say that. I wish I could do those things. If given long enough, we will find ourselves trying to do that very thing. Now, this passage here in Acts chapter 4 that uh, Ed read for us. I think it's one of those passages where as we look at it, as we read it, as we study it, uh, given enough time, e even in our first reading, we were looking and say, wow, isn't that awesome? We see Peter and John doing this amazing thing, standing up to the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling authority in their day, and saying, Jesus is the reason we're here. Jesus is the reason this miracle, this crippled man that we talked about last week, he, he, Jesus is the reason that he is walking that he is praising God. It's not because of us. And even though you want us to stop saying the name of Jesus, 
we're going to keep doing it. There's a word for this, and it's a word that comes up time and time again in this very passage, and it's something that I think we all aspire to, and that is to be bold. Now, I, I think you could have always said that Peter was bold, but Peter was bold in that kind of like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, naive. You don't know how close you're coming to death every time you do this, Peter, kind of bold. Something different is, is going on here, and, and, but we see them, them doing this. We see them willing to take great risk here in, in front of people that could kill them because they killed their master. We, we see them having the courage to stand up to the opposition, and, and, and we want to be able to do that. In fact, I, I think all of us aspire to it, and yet we feel like maybe we can never get there. But the longer we look at it, we say, well, maybe if we just kind of study what they did, uh, it's interesting that the Greek word here uh, that is used is the same word that was used to describe a free man standing up in the public assembly and saying whatever they wanted to. I mean, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to have the courage to do that? Who doesn't want to have the ability to do that, right? And, and, and so I think it's so easy for us to, to read about Peter and John here and, and say, I want to do that. And, and we psych ourselves up and we study and we say, let's look at what they did. Okay, be direct, say no, shake your head, cover your mouth, run, hide under your bed if all else fails. And, and so we say, okay, I've got the formula now. Now let's go out and do it. But we need to stop because the reason that Peter and John are bold isn't because they just conjured it up or, or they figured out some formula. There, there's, there's something more here going on. It's the same reason why my wife has never killed my kids. There's, there's something more going on there that doesn't necessarily apply to me. And, and, and so that's why things went the way that they did. And so we need to understand as we look at this passage together this morning, instead of just simply looking at it and saying, wow, isn't that boldness awesome? Don't we all want to do that? Well, let's run off and, and give it a shot. Because when we do that, we will run into obstacles that we didn't even know were there. Inevitably, when we run out and try to be bold for the sake of being bold, if we don't understand why it's been given, why, why God wants this for us, why he's given the Holy Spirit to, to give us this courage in specific places, then we're going to misuse it. We're going to think that we, we have boldness just to be bold, just to be able to stand up in the public assembly and say whatever it is we want. And it doesn't matter who we hurt or run over, God's given us this so that we can speak our mind. Or we're, we're going to run in, into uh, hurdles and, and not realize that they were coming and, and, and be beaten down by it and then say, well, I guess this isn't something for me. No, we need to understand the why. We need to understand the how. We need to understand who it's for and, and how it works. All of these things when it comes to boldness. Otherwise, it is a gift of God that we can misuse in our lives. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I, I want to walk through this passage and, and look at Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin and then go a little bit beyond that. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the hurdles that are going to come up as we try to be bold in our life. And then we're going to look at how when we understand why God's given it, how he gives it, who he gives it to, all of these things that go so much deeper than we might realize at the first reading of this passage, then we understand how when we come up against those hurdles, God's given us exactly what we need to overcome them. And so as we jump in uh, to this passage where Ed read for us uh, just a, a second ago, uh, the first thing we notice is the people that are involved, right? 
I mean, mainly you have Peter and John. They, they, they heal this man. This man goes in and, and he's proclaiming Jesus. And so uh, Peter and John are able to talk about Jesus and then they're arrested. And we're told that they're held overnight and then they're brought before the Sanhedrin the next morning. And this is the exact situation that they feared, right? If we go back just, you know, a little over a month's time ago, they were in a similar spot. They, but they were with Jesus, and Peter especially, that, that he was there during the trial of Jesus, and, and we're told that uh, he's in the courtyard outside while, while Jesus is, is, is being lied about and beaten, and, and he's there with a crowd, a common people, people that can't really do anything to him, and they're like, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And, and, and Peter does the thing that he swore he would never do. He, he actually denies Jesus. Three times he says, no, I, I, I don't know this guy. Peter was so afraid for his life that he went against everything in himself. He had psyched himself up so much saying, God, when Jesus, when the time comes, I'm going to be there right next to you. There is nothing that's going to separate us. And yet, at, at the very idea of, of even associating himself, even acting like he somehow knows Jesus, we see him cowering and not living up to the moment. Peter couldn't muster the courage with that crowd, and yet now he's in front of the Sanhedrin. And, and I have to believe, even though well, we don't get it spe specifically here in the text, I, I have to believe the thing that was going through Peter's mind was exactly that situation. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine that Peter had thought about that, was thinking about that, as all of this was going on, because that's exactly what happens in our minds, right? Right? Because the first hurdle in living boldly, being able to stand up and, and proclaim the name of Jesus in the way that God wants us to in situations is always going to be our mistakes. It's always in that moment. The, the moment when we recognize that this might be a place that we need to say something. Uh, the moment where we're about to muster the courage to, to take a stand that it is so outside of who we normally are. It's always right then when, when that voice comes in the back of our mind and starts talking to us and reminding us of what we've done, the mistakes we've made in the past. Starts asking us questions like, are, are, are you sure that you're in a place to, to be the one to say this? I, I, I mean, don't you think that you're a little bit of a hypocrite if you, if you uh talk in this direction because I, I mean I know what you've done before and, and, and just be careful if you draw too much attention to yourself uh, because people will start looking at you a little bit more closely and, and we know what kind of skeletons you have in, in your closet. It's not a coincidence that this happens to all of us because it's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to be immobilized because God has this amazing idea of us being a part of his redemption of this world. He's actually invited us in uh, to his plan. He hasn't just said, hey, I, I, I want to save you and put you over here on the sidelines and watch what I do. But he, but he loves us enough to say, I have this amazing thing that, that I'm doing, that I'm working towards. It, it, it's, it's part of what Jesus Christ has, has come to do, that, that he is here to redeem all of humanity. He's here to redeem the world. And I want you to be a part of that. And so what the enemy does is he tries to immobilize us and, and, and keep us uh, from doing that. And one of the greatest uh, weapons he has to do that is to make us think that our past mistakes somehow invalidate us. 
from standing up and, and, and telling people about Jesus, from offering hope and love and forgiveness and, and redemption, from being able to show them the, the truth about who God is. That, that, that he tries to magnify these things in our heart so that we begin to see ourselves as a liability to God rather than an asset. Rather than someone God wants to use, we say, you know what, God, I think it would be better to, if I just sit here and I watch and I cheer and I encourage and I support but for me to actually be that person, I, I have way too much going on. Let's let the perfect people do that. Let's let the people with skills do that. How easy it would have been for Peter to feel that way. Peter above all people. In a similar situation, actually, this situation is magnified. It's more intense. He, he's not there with just any crowd. He's there with the Sanhedrin. He's there with the very people that said Jesus should die. He's there with the very people that will eventually persecute the church, that will send Saul out to kill everyone that proclaims the name of Jesus. Peter had every reason to say, because of my past mistakes, I had my chance, I blew it, I missed my opportunity. You know what, God, choose somebody else to be in this situation. One reason why I, I think our mistakes get so magnified in our heart, and we're prone to think that they invalidate us from, from being able to share the hope of Jesus with other people, is that we mistake why God wants to give us this boldness. We, we, think, we think it's, it's a way to, to talk about us and ourselves. We would never say that with, with our minds, but that's what we believe in our hearts. And what we notice here in this passage is that it says that and Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he asks the Sanhedrin, he says, hey, if we're talking about, if you guys are asking about why it is that a crippled man is now walking, then just know this. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's because of Jesus that this has happened. And so while we're at it, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about what's happened. Let me tell you about what's gone on. And let me tell you and show you what God is doing. God wants to give you and I boldness in our life to stand up and point to him, not ourselves. It's not about you. It's not about your mistakes. It's not about your views on certain issues. It's about what Jesus has done and what he is offering to all people. It says that after Peter says this, uh, the Sanhedrin, they recognized that they were people. They were two men that had been with Jesus. That there's something different about this guy. They had definitely, they had seen Peter. They'd seen his interactions. They'd seen Peter screw up. It was well known like who Peter was at this point. And yet there's something different about him. There's something different about God. They had been with Jesus. And what we see there is actually that as much as we might fear our mistakes being shown and blown up and people knowing about our past, that actually because of the cross of Jesus Christ, your mistakes now have been turned around. They were meant to kill you, but God takes the very things that are meant to destroy us and he turns them around and now they are his weapons to use so that people will know his love, his forgiveness. They will know the victory over death that is life in Jesus Christ. That actually our mistakes play right into the design of God. We don't celebrate them. We're not proud of them. And yet God is now able to use them. And so we don't have to cower because of them. 
Because our past mistakes show what is different about us now isn't ourselves, isn't that we've been able to figure it out, it's that people can recognize that we are someone that has been with Jesus. And this quickly brings us to the second hurdle that we're going to come up against, and that is opposition. And this is something that Jesus had, had told his disciples, warned them was going to happen. He, he had said to them, look, if the world hates me, what do you think that they're going to think about you guys and, and do to you guys? And, and that's exactly what happens here with Peter and John, that as they tell them about Jesus and all that is going on and that they are, they are proclaiming and preaching the name of Jesus, the, the Sanhedrin, they, they take a break and they go out and they say, what can we do with these guys? Uh, they want to kill him, but, but they know that they can't kill him because this has been very public. There are a lot of people, and they're afraid that, that if they do kill them, there will be, there will be a, re, a revolt uh, against them. And so they come back in, and they threaten. Peter and I said, we're going to release you guys, but don't you dare say the name of Jesus again. And Peter and John's response is amazing. They, they look right at them. They're very direct, right? And they say, no, what's better for us to listen to you or, or to listen to God because this is something God's doing and so you guys just tell us. And we look at the response and we say, okay, I got it. That's the answer. I, I, whenever I face opposition, all I need to do is just say, hey, what's better, me to listen to you or to listen to God? The only problem with that is, is that basically amounts to us watching uh, an athlete or, or a great musician on TV, seeing how well they, they, they do and perform their craft and, and thinking, you know, I would like to be like that. And, and so we, we look at how they move and, and how they react to certain things and say, okay, I think I've got it figured out. And so then we run out and we try to do it. We're failing to see everything that, that goes on behind the scenes. We're, 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 we don't recognize what it's taken for them to get to that place that in the moment, in, in the midst of difficulty and so many things coming at them, oh, all the training that's gone into them being able to react in the right way. See, it doesn't matter if we just know what the right answer is in our heads. Because when our life or our job, our reputation or, 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 or the threat of people thinking uh, something different about us, Maybe even relationships being broken is at stake. It is going to be so hard for us to focus on the right thing. It's in those moments that, that our, our, our clarity is lost and we can't even remember what the right answer is. Ben Hogan was uh, one of the greatest golfers uh, all time and someone once asked him, they said, you know, Mr. Hogan, what, what does it take to be a, a great professional golfer? Is, is it actually uh, as easy uh, as it looks? And, and, and Ben Hogan's response was, there's no set time or schedule for developing one's skills as a professional golfer and it certainly doesn't come overnight. It's a muscle memory exercise that comes over time. Anything that is difficult that we want to do, this is the answer. It, it doesn't just come about out, out of nowhere. It actually comes over time. It, it comes over practice. There's a lot more than it looks like that goes into it. And that's exactly what's going on with Peter and John here. They weren't different just because they had decided one day, okay, the answer is whenever we get threatened, 
Do we listen to you or do we listen to God? There was something else different. So what is it? What is it that, that gave them this boldness? What is it that gave them the clarity in that moment? It, and we see what it is as we pick up beyond where Ed read for us. There in verse 23 and 24, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Notice what they do. They don't go back and, and, and tell uh, their friends and the other disciples, hey, uh, we, we stood up to the Sanhedrin. Here's what we did. This is what we said. We've got the formula, guys. Now we know every time this is going to come up, the answer, the answer is always, do we listen to you or do we listen to God? It's a good answer, but that wasn't it. It, it wasn't even that they, they went back to them and they said, hey, we were able to do this. We've realized we're more courageous. We're more bold than we imagined. So I think whatever comes up now, we're going to be able to handle it. No, they go back and as soon as the rest of the followers of Jesus hear what has happened, what do they do? They pray. Prayer is the way. Prayer is how God begins to instill in us the boldness to stand for him in the face of opposition and threats in our life. because it is when we pray that God is able to reorient us. He is able to take what we know in our mind and help us to believe it in our heart. It's not enough just to know what the right answer is, right? Peter knew what the right answer was before Pentecost. He knew in that courtyard what the right answer was. The answer was, I know Jesus. Yes, I stand with him. He is the Messiah. You guys are getting this wrong. And yet he didn't believe that in his heart. It was out of whack. And so he wasn't able to live it out. The threat and the opposition was too great. And he forgot what the right answer was. But after Pentecost, because his connection with God through the Holy Spirit is different, his prayer life is, has emboldened him to be able to live out what he knows to be true. And we see them coming back and instantly going back to prayer because they know that this connection between our heart and our mind, it so easily gets out of whack. It's so easy for the things around us and what is going on to cloud our, our vision. And so we forget what we know and we allow fear and our mistakes and the voices in our head to, to be magnified. And so we have to keep constantly coming back to a life and a practice of prayer so that we can allow God to have his say. So that he can remind us of what is true and we can connect that heart and mind and live through all of that. We keep coming back. But we also notice with the believers that it's not just important that they pray, but it's also important how they pray. Notice how they pray as, as we continue reading there. It, it says that, that they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And they keep going on like that. For a couple more verses, they're just talking about God. It's not until down in verse 29, look, it says, And now, Lord, after we've said all these things about you, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And then they, then they go back and they, they talk about Jesus and they talk about who God is. Notice here, it's not just that they prayed, but it's how they prayed. It's that God is the main subject, not the opposition they're facing. Their entire prayer is, God, this is who you are. This is what you've done. This is what you're doing. 
oh, and, and now that we've said all that and, and we've refocused, hey, you know, take note of their opposition. This is so vital to us because often what we magnify, what we focus on in our prayers is what we magnify in our life. It's what becomes the main focus of our hearts and that is where our heart and our mind, they get off whack. I would imagine that most of the time when we are facing opposition, when we go to God in the midst of that threat, the main subject of our prayer is the opposition. We come to God and we will talk to God forever about what is going on and, 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 and what they said and, and how it makes us feel and all those sorts of things. And, and, and then we begin praying, God, would, would you take this away? Would you do something about it? We want you to do something. And, and in our minds then, what it is we're facing, what's going on in our life, our, our circumstances that are all around us, what happens is that those are the things that become immovable, and we need God to react to them. When the reality is the complete opposite, God is at the center of this all, and everything has to react to him. But it's so easy when we are in places like Peter and John, where we're facing the uncertainty that, uh, of how people might react, what they might think, how it might affect us, that we need to be reminded by praying to God that he is at the center of it all. And that actually, as, as the followers of Jesus here saw and they got to a place, you notice that they, they actually get to a place where they say, hey, we, God, we understand who you are and what you're doing and we want that to be the main focus of our life. We also understand that there's opposition. And we also understand that there's always going to be opposition. That every time we take a stand, every time we say anything for Jesus, there might be people that won't like that. So we get that. So you're fixed. And actually, it seems like the fact that there's going to be opposition in our life is fixed. The only thing that is a variable, the only thing that can possibly move is us. And so the prayer becomes then help us to move in your direction. Help us to be bold for you. Help us to do what you have called us to do. Their prayer isn't even that, hey, God, change the leadership. Hey, God, come down and smite these people. Hey, God, help us to overthrow them. No, because if we, even if we do that, there's going to be other opposition. So God, help us to be faithful. Help us to be bold. When we can be reminded in our minds that God is at the center of, all, of it all and, and begin to believe that in our hearts, we can begin to live out and be the people that he wants us to be. As we go on, as we wrap up this passage, there's one last hurdle that I want us to look at, and that is the hurdle of insecurity. Let's jump to verse 31 there as, as we wrap up this passage. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. If we jump back uh, to what the Sanhedrin recognized about Peter and John and that these were men who uh, they recognized had been with Jesus. We say, well, that's a great testimony of, of how they were different and Jesus is the reason, but also think about how much of a disadvantage that could have been for them, right? They had been with, they had been with the guy. They, they had seen him do this. They, they had seen him do things that they couldn't do. They had tried to cast out demons, hadn't been able to. Jesus comes down with one word, demons gone. 
Inevitably, when we try to emulate what we admire, what we see in other people, we are going to run up against our inadequacies at the same time that we are seeing the abilities of others to do the very thing that we would like to do. We are going to, when we, when we try to step out and, and do these things, there are going to be times that we fail. And it's so easy for us when that occurs to say, okay, well, I guess this just isn't for me. I, I, I guess this is for other people. And, and so I, I would like to be a part of it, but I'm not supposed to be the one up in front. And so what we'll end up doing is we'll actually latch on to the people uh, that can do it. And we say, hey, let me be here kind of in the, in the back, in the scenes. I'll, I'll encourage you. I'll support you. I'll, I'll cheer you on. But I, I'm just not supposed to be somebody. I, I haven't been given that gift of boldness. I don't have the courage to stand up and say these things. And yet, verse 31 is really clear. That when they had prayed, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in boldness. God wants this for all of us. There aren't some of us that have this gift and others that don't. This is something that is given to everyone so that we can, when the time comes, stand in the place that God has put us and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. No matter what our mistakes are, no matter what the opposition might be saying, and beyond our insecurity. And you see, that's the thing. Is so often we don't realize this in our life because we can think of all the ways why it's not us, why we can't do what other people can do, why we're not good enough. And so the God's answer to that is he kind of, he cuts the cord. That he will put us in places uh, where we have to get beyond our insecurity. Where we will feel alone, we'll feel on an island, that we will be somewhere and we will literally look at it and say, if I don't do this, nobody else is going to do it. That we will finally stop looking at all the reasons why we can't do it and start looking at God and asking for him to help us to do it. That we'll stop asking God to change the circumstances, to take away the opposition, and start asking God to help us thrive and live for him in the face of it all. Phillips Brooks was a pastor uh, in the 1800s, and he's uh, known for writing the lyrics to the song A Little Town of Bethlehem. But he once said, don't pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Don't pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. This is all going on with Peter and John, the Sanhedrin, the believers praying, it's all going on in response to a miracle that was done. That, that there is a man who was 40 years old who had never walked in his life and he's now walking. But there's always two parts to a miracle. There's always two things that make it truly miraculous. It's miraculous because of what God does, but it's also miraculous because of who God chooses to use. It is miraculous that God chose to use guys like Peter and John to heal this man. With everything we know about them, with, with all of the times that they had failed as, as disciples, and yet God works through them. And it's so easy for us to read this today and say, well, that was Peter and John, but you know who they were. And, and the reason that they were able to do this was because of the Holy Spirit, and it's the same Spirit that has been promised to you and I, and it's the reason why God is calling all of us 
to stand boldly for him. And, and we just need to know that there are going to be times that because our insecurity is so great that he is going to put us in positions that we would rather not be in. But he is doing that so that he can finally get us to get out of our way and allow him to start working through us so that we can be a part of this amazing thing that he is doing, to reach into the lives of other people, to show them that they are loved, and to save them from the devastation that wants to overtake them and swallow them up. It's not going to be fun all the time. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to feel desperate and alone in places and just know that you aren't. I I recently actually had a situation like this where God cut the cord and and kind of plopped me down in a spot that I really didn't want to be in and I felt totally inadequate for. Um, It was uh, actually the week before all of this lockdown stuff uh, started and uh, it was a Monday uh, at noon and uh, Pastor Ed, Pastor Dave and myself, we were were going to lunch to talk about uh, things with the church and um, so we parked at Dave's house and Dave lives there on the promenade that, you know, it's the walkway that overlooks the falls and uh, the mill in downtown. And so we, we parked at Dave's house and we were walking down to the municipal elevator there to uh, go downtown and, and eat lunch. And as we were walking along, out of the corner of my eye, we, 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 we passed this guy and uh, he, was, he was standing on the other side of the barrier that uh, is there along the walkway. Uh, pretty close to the, to the edge it looked like. And uh, truthfully, my first thought was just keep walking. If you know anything about me, going up and talking to strangers in public and uh, kind of getting into other people's stuff is, is, is not my deal. What's more is um, I love to eat and so I wanted to get to lunch. And so I put my head down and I took a couple steps and then I just knew um, you can't keep walking. So I split off from uh, Ed and Dave and I uh, went back and just said, hey man, uh, is everything all right? And uh, as I got up to the bear, I noticed he was really close to the edge. He was holding a cup of coffee and he turned around to me and tears pouring uh, from his eyes and, and he said, no, everything isn't okay. And right in that moment, I knew, okay, my day is going to be a, b- a bit different. And so I, I instantly went into a mode of, of, of talking to him and, and trying to figure out what was going on and um, just all, all of a sudden, all of these thoughts r- rushing through my mind, I'm not fit for this. This isn't something that, that, that I, I can do. And what do I even say to someone that's in a situation like this? And, um, and, and yet, I, I just I, I was talking to him. What else can you do? And as we were talking, what made it worse and kind of just like raised my anxiety to another level was that I... He said that he had been standing there for quite a while and, and he had been counting and, and he had been, st- as long as he'd been standing on the edge of that cliff, uh, 38 people had walked by and not a single person had stopped to ask him what was going on, how things were going. He said, nobody cares. Nobody even cares if I'm here and, 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 and that sort of thing. And, and then I really felt like, well, I can't leave now. Um, I, I can't say, hey, like, don't worry, like somebody's going to come along or anything like that. And, and yet the whole time I'm th- sitting there, I'm like, I, I don't want to be here. I, I, I don't even know what to do in this situation. And, and for everything that you would sit there and say, well, you should talk to him about this, this when you're in that situation, again, we've, we talked about this earlier, when, when all of this is going on and it's game time, like your mind just goes blank. And it's like, I have not prepared for this. 
What, what's, what made it even worse was about midway through our conversation, um, he just throws his cup of coffee over uh, the edge, and I'm like, oh my goodness, he's, he's about to do it. Um, he, he's about to jump. And, um, I, and then I'm just like, why isn't Dave or Ed saying anything? And I felt utterly alone. And all I wanted to do was just crawl up in a ball and hide under my bed. I just wanted to keep going about my day. I wanted to say, look, man, this isn't my thing. I have no idea what to say. Because I'm alone and I'm desperate. And it was in that moment I knew, God, if anything's going to happen here and this isn't going to go the way this guy had planned today, it's got to be you. And as soon as the total desperation took over me and I let go of everything I couldn't do, I, I realized, I, I could sense, I, I don't even know why, but Dave was standing right over my shoulder. He actually had been the whole time and Dave was just praying. And I think he was crying. I don't know. You could ask him. But, um, and what's more is, Ed, when, 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 they, when they had turned, I, I didn't know where Ed was, but I uh, found out later that when, when, they, when they had started walking over, as I was talking to this guy initially, that Ed had noticed that he had put his keys in his wallet on the barrier so that when he did jump, they would be able to easily identify him. And so Ed knew instantly what was going on and what was up. And so he went and, and called the police to, from a place where he wouldn't see him calling the police. And he was actually able to wave the police down as they flew by where we were actually at. So the police were able to get there sooner. But knowing that in that moment, it was God saying, you're not alone in this. And I was able to let go of all of the stuff and just start talking to him and saying, God, you're going to have to direct this. You're going to have to give me things to talk about. And so as we talked, I, I asked him questions. Again, it just sounds so simple, but in the moment, I, I, I had no idea. But I was like, how old are you? And he was like, I'm 29. And I was like, well, I'm 33. And so we were able to talk about that. And I was like, I'm not that much older than you, but I didn't know if he took offense to that because people in their 30s are really old, that sort of thing. I, I, I was like, why are you here? What's going on? And he had just lost some people in his life that mattered greatly to him. And God brought to my mind the fact that we had had a miscarriage. And I, and I knew it wasn't necessarily maybe the same thing. But I was like, look, man, I know what it's like to lose people. And I know what it's like to be in that moment. And I know what it's like to not feel like there's anything beyond this. But there is life beyond this. And then he talked about he, he, how people had walked by him and nobody had said anything and nobody cared. He had nobody. And, and I, I was, God brought to mind again and I was like the whole time I'm thinking this is, just, this is just me making stuff up. But I was able to say, look, the fact that we're here, the fact that we're in this moment, it, it proves that people do care. And what's more is I'm a pastor and so I know that God has brought me here and he has me here even though in my mind I don't want to be here. Because he cares about you. And I don't know how long we talked, but it was at least 10 minutes and, and it felt like a lifetime. And, and then finally the police showed up. And I'll tell you what, like so amazing what they were able to do, how, how well they're trained for this situation. The, the police officer within two minutes was able to de-escalate him to such a degree that he was able to get him to sit down and then get him to back up against the barrier and then instantly come over the barrier so they were able to take him and get him help. And I looked at that, I was like, wow, these guys are so great, trained professionals. Like, and how easy would it be for me to say they should be the ones to do it? 
Or it'd be easy for me now on this side of things to say, you know what, guys, like I can do this thing. Like, hey, whenever there, whenever there is somebody that is in a situation like that and, and, and they're close to it all, send me in, guys. I have a track record of these things. And yet it would be ridiculous for me to say that. But in that moment, in that place, God had put me there. I didn't want to be there. I, was on a, I felt alone. I was on an island. I was desperate. And yet to realize that God has you there for a moment and what's more is he is giving you the boldness and the courage to do what he has called you to do. And beyond that, you aren't actually alone. As much as it might feel like it, as much as you don't want to be there, you have to know that there are people behind you. There are people praying for you that don't even know why they're praying for you. That there is a cloud of witnesses, we're told in Hebrews, in heaven that is cheering you on and they're praying for you too, that Jesus himself is praying for you, that you have the Holy Spirit that Peter and John had to stand in the place that God has brought you to and placed you in, that you can be miraculously a part of the redemption of this world of of someone's life. It's somewhere that we don't want to be, and yet when we can look back and we can say, God did it, and we can talk to people and say, hey, if we're talking about this thing that happened, that I was there, just know this. It's not about me. It's about him. The fact that you get to have that testimony, the fact that you get to share that with people is one of the greatest miracles that can happen in our world today. God is giving you, wants to give you, wants you to ask for the boldness to be able to do that. Don't allow your mistakes, don't allow the opposition, don't allow your insecurity to get in the way of realizing and partnering with God in the amazing thing he has done and is continuing to do through Jesus Christ. He has given you the spirit for that purpose. That not only can you be a part of a miracle, but you can be the miracle yourself because God wants to use. He used Peter and John and he wants to use you and me too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and humbly this morning ask for for you to use us as you want to. Lord, would you give us the courage to pray that prayer? Would you give us the courage to surrender ourselves and everything that we think invalidates our lives to being used by you so that we may truly live for not our will, but yours to be done. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask for that power to be able to proclaim today and every day forward the name of Jesus Christ and his love and the hope and the freedom and the forgiveness that can be found in him. It's in your name we pray. Amen.